Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous team. Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast. A spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, I don't know about you, but I just want to be a beautiful salad bowl, my friend. <laughs> but... Despite what kind of container, shape or size we are, you can still call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. You can also follow either of your hosts if you would like to do so. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow Michael Hamflitz. At Michael Hamflit, you can get this podcast on Apple Podcasts where we invite you to subscribe or follow on Spotify where you can follow and subscribe and all that good stuff there. On Amazon Music where you probably can't find us through Audible because the cheeky bastards charge you an extra fee for that even though it's supposed to be tied in with the Amazon service. But anywhere else you can find podcasts for free, you can find Podcast Horsemen, including on Acast where you can stream or subscribe depending on what you prefer every Friday when the new episode goes up on that Podcast Horseman Twitter feed. Check out the Acast link there. And indeed, through Acast or any of those apps where reviews are allowed, where star ratings are allowed, we would love you to fool some algorithms for us. Some five-star ratings, some reviews. It's all that good stuff. It's every podcast you've ever heard. But in ours, you will get yourself a little treat for getting involved. You can get yourself a star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame with your name on it for leaving us a five-star review. And don't sit on that. Do not wait. There are not many more chances to drop those reviews because there are not many episodes of BoJack Horseman left. Subsequently, there are not, sadly, more episodes of Podcast Horseman left. Get your five-star review and get your star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Another one of them coming at the end of the episode. Yes, indeed, there is. And a quick thank you, I guess. A thank you and uh, an acknowledgement because the first Follow Friday happened last Friday mm. when last week's episode dropped and it was a busy day. <laughs> <laughs> it was a busy day. In particular, I was trying to think of when, when we were doing this the last time, I was thinking, why did I say it'll just be on Twitter? And then I was like, oh, that's why if, if you've said you'll do Instagram as well. Well, I, find, <laughs> I found out the hard way at the weekend. It was fun nonetheless, though. I hope everybody enjoyed their followers who got them. And to any strangers who got random followers for just once, like in a BoJack Horseman podcast, Horseman tweet. Well, look at you, eh? Some people have waited a lifetime for this, and you've got it within five <laughs> minutes. There you go. But never mind all that. Let's get down to this week's episode. We go across to Netflix for the synopsis, and it is season six, 
Episode 10, Good Damage. Diane's depression lifts, but she's still struggling to start writing her memoir. Report as Paige and Max pay Penny a visit. Michael, lots of stuff going on in this one early on. And you just had a feeling, didn't you? I mean, even the first time you watched this episode, you had a feeling Good Damage was always going to be a bit of a a bit of an interesting title, wasn't it? And we certainly get exactly what we were expecting. Yeah, maybe not the title you'd want if you're a fan of Diane, which of course we are, because this is our first proper look at a really post-mid-season break. We saw a front row last week at the end of the episode for Bojack's uh, showcase, and we will get back to that later. But this episode starts proper with Diane and Guy at Hubba Bubba Field. Uh, having, quote, Chicago-style baked potatoes. They're watching the uh, the baby humans play baseball. Um, Diane gets cross about the plastic waste in the packaging um, for the, uh, the Chicago-style potatoes that Guy brings over and the massive conglomerate that the packaging is owned by. But suddenly, she isn't so fussed. It looks very much like she's going to go off on one of the tangents that were causing a great stress a little while ago when, you know, Capitalism just gets us all down sometimes, basically. <laughs> but something stops her in her tracks, and that something is antidepressants. A sequence plays that I would compare to either a 70s, 80s uh, sitcom or the Mentos advert, where you would have a Mentos and your day would be turned around. Except in this case, it's Diane encountering various annoyances of her days out in Chicago, whether it be busy road, whether it's being not like ignored by bar staff, um, the power going out at the house while she's trying to write. They're all solved by local anthropomorphic people. She's basically able to use these animals in the various strange ways that their bodies work to fix these problems and her medication. She does the fix, she takes the medication and everything is great. It seems to stop all the stresses in her tracks. And um, the next day though, with all seeming quite well, Diane is back on her laptop um, with the blinking cursor stuck on quote, chapter one. The medication might be working, but the writer's block is real. Um, we'll stick with Diane briefly, if that's okay, when the episode starts proper. That is the relatively short cold open. It's established that Diane is taking the medications and theoretically they're working, but they're not moving her forward on the book. And we get a little bit of development of that in the first scene proper, because it starts with this stunningly animated uh, narration of a, a scribbled doodle of Diane. It's um, like neat doodles in a notebook with very tidy post-its where the dialogue is being typed onto the post-its next to the doodle. So you've got the narration plus the accompanying text plus the images in the sort of style of there, kind of like college doodles in a, in a notepad. Um, it instantly, instantly draws a comparison with stupid piece of shit because what this is, of course, is Diane narrating her inner thoughts in a way that looks scattier, shall we say, than the typical animation style with which we used to. Uh, we'll get on a little bit to the contrast between the style of this and Stupid Piece of shit the episode goes on, but that is definitely the comparison the show immediately wants you to draw. Um, and obviously that didn't go too well for Bojack, so we'll have to assume it's not going to go too great for Diane, Diane either. Um, the tidier drawings, uh, sort of an interesting contrast perhaps. It all feels a little bit neater than what we saw in Bojack's episode, but things are still not great for Diane. Um, the problem comes really from the dialogue itself. Um, there are vocabulary and grammar issues as Diane, as the narrator, is trying to um, tell the story. Her internal monologue is being hypercritical of its lack of insight and its lack of quality. Um, there's a constant need to, quote, check this, which is her obviously constantly thinking, should I write this down? I don't need to fact check it anyway. Um, it features her father as a monstrous overlord figure, kind of like... Um, like a Godzilla King Kong figure looking over the, the city of Boston. There's a school bully 
as somebody that Diane in the Doodle wants to have a little bit of empathy for. There's Todd and Bojack as unintentional disruptors who smash a ball. That's followed by Mr. Peanut Butter, who is a literal fixer. In this case, he glues the ball back together with gold. It's apparently the Japanese art of Kintsuki. Um, the ball fell apart like their marriage. Peanut Butter's voice says, quote, is that something? Is any of this anything? Again, taking over her inner thoughts. Uh, suddenly, she snapped out of it, though, by a phone call. It's revealed she's in a food court on her laptop, still trying to write. She can't really concentrate at home. And it's Bojack. He's asking if she'll attend his uh, showcase, which, of course, places this episode in the timeline right at the start of last week's episode, where Bojack's only just started teaching at Wesleyan. Um, she tells Bojack she um, can concentrate them all, which is why she's there when he kind of wonders aloud why she's bothering heading there instead of just working from home. Um, she complains about the Chicago weather, which is why, again, the mall is quite ideal and admits she can't quite figure out what the book is, but she will be at the showcase. That feels like the kind of the right place to pause it because this the medications are one thing that this episode wanted to establish, but the other is very much where this episode will go with that. We learn about Bojack's inner day-to-day -day through the iconic stupid piece of shit. We are learning very slowly and steadily through uh, on Diane's inner monologue, but on medication. It's the same, but different. And it just immediately feels like a dark path, even though the medications are supposed to be fixing that. Yeah, definitely an interesting starting point for this one because Diane's, this is, when we have Bojack, it's his day-to-day, -day, isn't it? His day-to-day -day mm. mind. And it's it's all over the place. And the drawings are like wildly, wildly loose and scribbly and all over the place. Whereas with Diane's, we are in her head. And it's not that it's not her day-to-day, -day, but it is her day-to-day -day while she is trying to write the book as opposed mm. to just live life. I think that's probably yeah. fair. There's a distinction there. Hence, the slight, the slightly better drawn. Like, as you, if you've noted there, the, the drawings aren't quite as loose as mm. the uh, stupid piece of shit ones. But there is still a looseness and a scribbly nature to them, as you say, a doodle nature. And the kind of use of notepads and, like, Post-its notes are like little ripped out bits of coloured paper. Essentially, it's like she's putting them on a board, only there's no board. Yes. It's all happening in her head. And she's trying. Even the characters are sort of little paper cutouts. It's almost like she's doing arts and crafts with all these things as she's making the scene happen, now trying to make the scene happen. Uh, but she's not quite getting anywhere she wants to go. But you can't mistake this immediately for the, in a monologue, the inner struggle that people have and the the like a numerous amount of voices that are coming from in her head with criticism or with observations or with perspectives, but they're all coming from people who are obviously in her life uh, at this point or have been in the past. And you are both in awe of how good the animation is, but also hit with that familiar feeling of, oh boy, it's going to be <laughs> one of those episodes. I love this episode so much, but it is, it's great for being so deep diving, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, the best show about mental health is about to tackle mental health. And I think yeah. you feel that early on and we're into season six, which was the end of the show. We know now that you can absolutely trust this process and you're uneasy about what's to come, but you know they're going to do a very good job of it. Mm. Um, we're back to Diane, both in her head and writing the book. She's writing about her upbringing with, again, the um, animation of her father, um, kind of like stomping on Boston. She flashes back 
all the way back in Boston's history to the Boston Tea Party. But um, in getting distracted on that, because obviously it's just down a tangent that really she doesn't need to go down, the animation warps into a giant Mr. Peanut Butter who is still explaining Kintsugi. Um, in this case, rather than it just being any broken item, it's Diane's head that is now cracked into all sorts of pieces um, that is then put back together with the gold. Um, Mr. Peanut Butter at this point is some sort of squid. I thought it was an octopus, but I counted six tentacles. So it's some sort of like squid or sea creature. Um, and at the very last second, a massive ink spill covers the screen. As her father says, quote, we have to look at trauma. Um, the miniature Diane head laughs maniacally and cracks again, undoing all the good work that I guess Mr. Peanut Butter tried to do. And it's again blended with reality as two shoppers next to it in the mall say they have to, quote, look at trauma. Trauma reveals itself to be a shop where there's 40% off clothes. Um, so again, this is playing with obviously that Diane is kind of trapped between her inner monologue and the failure to get those thoughts out and the crossover between the two worlds. Um, but she's interested in a 40% off sale, who wouldn't be? So she goes in to try a top on. She's, uh, she's struggling to fit into a top in the changing room, but when she goes to ask for assistance from uh, one of the people working in the shop, the they're less than helpful. They're instead kind of chatting up a storm about various more stories and various gossip about kind of other people working in the other shops. Um, and in the meantime, she gets a call from Princess Carolyn, who has good news about birthday dad's good rating. Um, she's also there to ask how the book is going. Um, it's been six months after all, which again is particularly telling when you think back to the first scene where Diane's cursor is flashing on chapter one, six months and she's not been able to manage to get a word onto the page. Um, Diane stumbles through a synopsis about trauma, um, but remembers the ball and lands on it being, quote, good damage. It's uh, it's something that she got from, I guess, one of those like sequences where she went into her own head. Princess Carolyn loves the concept of that, at least. She asks for pages, and Diane says, uh, okay, but no hurry, to which Princess Carolyn replies, okay, but no, hurry. So at least she's managed to, I guess, sell the pitch and the idea to Princess Carolyn, but Princess Carolyn's got greater expectations than what Diane can feasibly offer. Um, she's still struggling to write, Diane. She's now back at uh, the flat with Guy. Um, she thinks it's the medication. She feels foggy, but they're supposed to make her feel clear. Um, she's kind of getting neither one thing nor the other off them, certainly not when it comes to writing the book anyway. Um, Guy tells her to keep at it, so she um, starts as a baby with a Todd character playing her babysitter, of course, much in the way he does Ruthie now. Um, baby Diane is in a baby Bjorn in this picture that Diane has painted in her head. Um, Todd asks her what it was like to be surrounded by love. Um, obviously, he had none, and she refutes this discussion again, all in a, in a monologue. Um, that she had it, that she didn't have it either. And um, she gives examples, or at least she tries to, of her dad being hard on her, but she struggles with direct examples of it. Like we know the life that Diane uh, had with her family. We know it was tough, but I guess it's just not easy to pull from a set staple of times that maybe a, she felt that her father was abusive towards her. It was more just, I guess, a pattern of, you know, difficult experiences with him. Um, it results in the uh, Todd voice asking if it's just simply a book of complaining because he's supposed to be the target audience and he's bored by it. Enter Ivy into shop. Now, Ivy is the uh, one of the girls in the shop that was uh, having a chat with another one of her colleagues um, who was working in trauma. Um, Diane's inner voices are so bored, whether it be Todd, whether it be Dad, that uh, Ivy has now taken over the story instead of Diane. They've just seen Diane's pain as 
a, a novel about complaining. So they're far more interested in what Ivy's got to tell her. In this case, it's a backstory about moving to Chicago. Um, it's all very 90s television. Um, at this point, she's now been named Ivy Tran or, quote, Ivy T, that's me. And an entire little world has formed around this Ivy Tran character. Um, she's solving more related mysteries. Suddenly, we're back in real life, and Diane's produced these pages on Ivy Tran. She sort of, I guess, typed them without realising what we've been seeing in her head has actually transposed onto the page. It's Ivy Tran, food court detective. It's now become a fully-fledged thing. Um, back home, Guy is reading it, and he loves it. But Diane is obviously more frustrated that she can't access her damage and has instead just done this as some sort of distraction. Guy tentatively notes that she struggled writing depressed and she's still struggling now. Could it be actually to do with the writing? Um, Diane gets a backup about that pretty quickly, as you would imagine, um, because in her mind, it's got to be hard to be good. The struggle is part of the journey. Um, Guy tells her to persist with Ivy Trance, says there's, you know, there's possibly something in this. Uh, Diane really wants to persist with the book and at least tempers cool, which again could be an education thing. This looks like the sort of thing that would have once caused a row between them, but instead all things end nice and Guy makes a laugh. They have one of them sweet moments that we've seen between them before. There is a genuine chemistry between Guy and Diane that seems to really put Diane at ease um, because previously I think we would have seen, especially when it comes to writing, something that she cares a great deal about in her process. When that's challenged, especially by Bojack, we would have seen an explosion. Here, this was very different. All things ended well. But yeah, the introduction of Ivy Tran through a distraction, through Diane's inability, as she says, to access her damage. You don't really see the story going in this direction. And yet the show seems to want to lead you into thinking that maybe this actually is for the better of Diane, like Guy being a voice of reason for it, Ivy Tran being so fully formed, the character in the doodle is in full, vibrant colour. Um, I think it's sketched and designed to, I don't know about you, it resembled Arthur, you remember the animated show Arthur, mm -hmm. like walking in his own sort of circle around this already perfect, very literally perfectly drawn world. She cannot get a word out about herself, she cannot remember one single story about her dad, she can't say anything to Todd that doesn't bore him, and yet Ivy Tran is this pitchable relatable character somehow um i do think the show wants to lead you down that path but it's wholly unexpected brilliant way to do this uh, i was just kind of waiting in my chamber to mention this but you've absolutely nailed it there there's such a clear and distinct um we get a, such a clear and distinct view of how diane's idea process is going and then mm. it's she's really struggling like she's really struggling to get anything out when she's trying to do her thing. But the moment Ivy Tran comes in, as you mentioned, illustration is completely in colour. Like the 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 line art of the of the illustration is so clear. Like it's mm. there's no it's much better than the doodle of Diane. Like it as you say, much more fully formed. The colours have even got like colour but then shade as well. The world behind Ivy Tran that she's talking about is just is effortlessly popping into play. Like and mm. It looks like a happy place. It looks like a warm place. It looks like everything you'd want to look like from a fully formed, fully realised idea. And yeah. I love the way that once we don't know it until Diane comes out and we see her laptop, but that is clearly what they're showing us, is that the more this vision of Diane's and this idea is becoming fully formed, the clearer that the illustrations are. In like, It looks really like it's eye-catching. It's, it's fun. Yeah. It's something you want to see. As you say, like kind of 
mimics that old 90s cartoon style, maybe like an author, something like that, where you are drawn in. Ivy Tran mm. draws you in to what, she's an interesting character. You're immediately interested in what she's doing. And I, it's funny this because you imagine someone like Diane with all of this good damage as she's calling it inside of her and she's just wanting to try and make something out of it and yet the one good thing that's starting to come from this is what she claims that she doesn't really want uh, which is a shame because it looks great from, 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 <laughs> from the outside looking in but also I love that we get with Guy in particular the one thing it seems Diana's been missing all the time yes they nearly have a bust up but he's, he's not trying to say she's a bad writer he's trying to say that maybe it's that you don't want to write this thing that you feel like you do subconsciously mm. maybe you don't he knows her which is different yeah. the only other person we've ever seen in this show who properly knows her is Bojack and uh, mm. maybe Beyond Borg let's not forget but <laughs> Guy actually knows her and knows how to help her and knows how to knows her moods and accepts her for these moods and isn't trying these big gestures he's trying to help her along the way and every now and again that seems to include perhaps making her think about something that she doesn't necessarily want to think about but not unreasonably, I think that's fair to say. Whereas perhaps in the past, with either Bojack or Peanut Butter, it might have been a complete swing and a miss from Peanut Butter or Bojack's really bad bedside manner. Yeah, no, absolutely. The comparisons are pretty stark. And not to like jump ahead or spoil, but I guess this does foreshadow. Guy pulls out a thread here that ends up, as we'll get to, pretty much being the correct one. Uh, Diane just to kind of happen has to happen upon that herself and that is interesting for Guy to maybe spot that and understand that about her does reflect what their relationship's about versus the ones we've seen Diane previously Peanut Butter was loving but completely tone deaf and would have gone in the total opposite direction Bojack would have been too much of his own arse to, to spot anything really he might have backdoored into a solution but that would have been all it was by the end of this episode you kind of left reflecting on everything and you look back at this exchange in particular with Guy and Diane and you realise that either connection there is real because Diane needed to figure it out for herself, but Guy could have helped to get where she needed to go an awful lot quicker. And that's nice. That is like, fundamentally, that's nice to the character, even though we know that she has to suffer through that herself. Exactly that. And obviously Guy knows that and won't try and force her to wherever it is. He knows that she needs to go. He knows that Diane's mm. the kind of character who has to learn these things for herself. It the only thing I think of is like when someone tries to recommend you some music that you and you don't necessarily believe in it. You want to find that music, but you want to find yes. it by yourself. So you don't have this ownership on it. You don't have this feel like you were pushed or helped in any certain mm. way. That's that was the immediate thing I thought of. But he just knows what he's doing. And it's wait a minute, Michael. A man in Hollywood who is actively helping. I suppose he's not in Hollywood, is he? He's in Chicago, technically. So maybe that's what it's it a, is. He's a, a Hollywood man, man. A woman. Chicago style. Chicago style. <laughs> and apparently Chicago style means helping women out and actually doing good things and not being self-absorbed. Imagine that from a man in Hollywood. Oh, well. Um, we're back with Diane. She goes to get her medication. Um, and Princess Carolyn calls um, to say that various companies are very excited about adapting uh, Diane's book about damage. Um, Princess Carolyn thinks uh, sad, sad, sad is the way to go. Um so when the call cuts back to the pharmacy where the pharmacist has arrived with Diane's pills, Diane herself has disappeared. Obviously, she has taken on board what Princess Carolyn has said and has thought the only way maybe to remove the fog from these dark thoughts is to remove the blocker that was you know, placed in the fog there in the first place. Back at home, um, Diane is slightly curt with Guy, very different to the prior exchange. Um, 
because she needs to work. She can't concentrate with him there. Uh, he leaves her to it and then he comes back in. But what appeared to be what, a split second of Guy going and coming back is revealed to be an entire day where Diane is laying in bed. Again, not really able to commit anything to the page. She completely breaks down in tears. She can't believe that yet another day has gone by. She's off the medication. She's feeling bad. Literally, in this case, she goes and throws up in the plant in the bathroom because she doesn't want to throw up in their toilet uh, because she doesn't believe it to actually be their shared thing. I'm not going to throw up in your toilet. That'd be gross. Um, which like still reveals again that she's not she's still not yet fully willing mm. to commit. But Guy is with her um, again. She tries to immediately get back to work um, and we're back to the doodles. Only this time they are looking far more warped. They are very dark and spiky and sharp versions of her father of Todd, of Princess Carolyn, of her own childhood self, um, Bojack and Mr. Peanut Butter, um, and kind of like all the main characters basically all appear and literally break her down. Um, Bojack is mocking her for daring to compare herself to the broken, beautiful salad bowl at the start of the episode. That's all it was, a salad bowl. Her father, um, the, the, the father character, pulls her underwater as the scribbles converge like black spider webs and for the first time resemble like for like the animation in stupid piece of shit. We took a while to get there, but we have arrived there as a result of it mm. obviously coming off the medication. Um, the displays now <laughs> reach the point that we know Bojack lives with on a daily basis. Um, it transitions back to real life and Diane is on a knife edge. Uh, she screams to Guy, quote, I want to die. It is so much worse than before. Uh, obviously, she's kind of having a. She's coming off from cold turkey. This is not just the standard issue depression. I guess she was dealing with before. This is something altogether different. Uh, Guy tells her to take her pills and consoles her, talking her down from the brink yet again. Um, the next morning, she's feeling a little bit calmer. Um, is very apologetic with Guy about just how up and down things have been, but panics when Guy reveals that he sent the Ivy Tran pages to Princess Carolyn. He had faith in the idea if she didn't or indeed didn't really want to proceed with it. And um, before Diane can fly off the handle, she looks like she's about to go. But Princess Carolyn calls and she loves it because, quote, it wasn't your sad memoir about your boring life. She thinks it's, <laughs> she thinks it's going to sell as a franchise and hangs up before Diane can even really say no. She's so, PC super excited about it. We go back into Diane's head, but it's the medication version again. You can see the clear distinction between what we were seeing just last night and what we were seeing, obviously, earlier in the episode. We've got young Diane talking to Ivy now, who describes herself as a perfect combination of every relatable trait that Diana's wished she could ever have but can't. Um, and this is the point. Ivy Tran is a character, not the real person. A character can embody whatever it is you want them to have, whereas the real person is only going to get what they get. Um Diane says, quote, it's just not that easy. And Ivy stops being Ivy and goes down to her level and says, I know, but wouldn't it be nice if it was? Again, because she's the character and she is able to relate to pretty much anything Diane needed to relate to. Mm. Um, the shot fades into Bojack's showcase, which is where Todd and Diane's conversation is picked up from last week. Um, Princess Carolyn arrives, they watch the show, um, and Diane manages to catch up with Princess Carolyn before she leaves. Um, they're sat having a conversation in the Wesleyan University grounds. She tells uh, Princess Carolyn that she doesn't want to write Ivy Tran. She doesn't want to. Um, Princess Carolyn says she could tell Diane had fun with it, but Diane says that she has to do her own personal essays instead. It doesn't matter that Ivy Tran flowed. It's more important to her that she gets the original idea out. Princess Carolyn's a little bit exasperated at this point and just asks why 
Diane says, quote, because if I don't, that means all the damage I got isn't good damage. It's just damage. She continues, quote, all those years I was miserable was for nothing. Princess Carolyn doesn't really have a response to the big questions, but did sort of like the book slash film that Ivy Tran could be to answer the big questions for her daughter one day. And that seems to at least for the first time, I guess, go in as maybe Ivy Tran being able to be some version of what Diane needs. Um, she says when she was little, she thought all the quote, abuse and neglect had made her special. Um, she thinks that she's failed herself by only being able to come up with a character rather than expressing her real thoughts. She's failed herself. She's failed others by not writing her book. But Princess Carolyn assures her that Ivy Tran can do so too. That is not the end of the episode. We're going to get on to, uh, I guess, the B plot. Um, B is very much for Bojack, but it's for the other characters too. But it's the end of Diane's plot, which has been the central plot of this episode. Um, it's not really a... I wouldn't say they find wholesale... Um, uh, they don't arrive at a wholesale conclusion. Diane seems loosely in agreement with Princess Carolyn that, okay, Ivy Tram will do. It's more of a compromise. They don't give you the, you know, hugging, learning, happy ending. You're right, Princess Carolyn. It's not romanticised as the best case scenario for everybody, but Diane sort of accepts this for what it is. And I thought that that was gutsy to the last with Diane. She still, I don't think, is getting really what she wants but Princess Carolyn is trying to sell her that Ivy Tran is perhaps what she needs. I feel like this is a really good example of, and that that's exactly, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, the example of what you want and what you perhaps need uh, when it comes to this kind of process. And for all creative people, it, it's, it's a bit of a toss-up, I guess, especially when Princess Carolyn is technically the lead and the boss on this. So she, she wants the product she wants what she mm. paid for she wants what was promised she wants a finished something that she's going to like and whether diane likes it or not this ticks the box and i think by the end of this episode diane has it's tough because she is obviously a writer so it's it is a lot more personal but i feel like by the yeah. end of the episode she has finally found a way or as as a way has happened upon her that she gets to inject a little bit of personal into something that is also this fictional character that is marketable, that is commercially viable, that is exactly what someone like Princess Carolyn would really be interested in because there's potential for so much here. Franchise potential or French potential, as uh, Princess <laughs> Carolyn would call it. And, I, you know, I have to say, we get a lot of Princess Carolyn being... Princess Carolyn, like the mm. powerhouse of a worker in this business, in this episode, we are reminded that she is very good at her job. But also, as we have done for quite a few other episodes in this season, actually, Princess Carolyn isn't where she is by being nice and playing ball. She is there because she gets results. She gets what she wants. And sometimes it's maybe not exactly at the, not the best interest, but the way that the person mm. she's working with would like it. She's like, wants it her way and will try her best to find out a way to get that. But I really did like the way that this was all about Diane. This was a personal thing for Diane, a personal journey. And I loved I loved the tidbits that we get from her past that suggest just how meaningful and how big this was for her. But again, that boils down to, in the world of creativity, as she had a girl cruise as well, and she's had many times mm -hmm. before, sometimes you don't get what you want. 
you get what you need is, is always the famous way the song goes. And maybe, just maybe this is it. As you say, there's no direct conclusion and there's no sort of all tied up in 30 minutes and we go off happy and sorted. But it's a, a little glimmer of colour in a world that was very much black and white before we started this episode, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, Princess Carolyn is all business, but her pitch is tinged with the want maybe to help. She's kind of wanting to have both, isn't she? She's wanting to kind of like have a catnip cake and eat it too. Like the, she needs mm. what she needs for work purposes, but she she likes and respects Diane enough that she wants her to get some sort of closure on this bad bad patch she's been having. It is it is a case of both, I think. And you can. Princess Carolyn is the one that can have everything. If so anybody can have it, her, that's exactly it. She can have her cake and eat it, as you kind of already alluded to there. And better yet, of course, just nice to see the powerhouse of a woman helping another powerhouse of a woman in this episode. Two of our personal faves get a chance to help one another, even if one of them is looking at the bottom line the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, from uh, women that have needed help to another younger woman that is going to need some more when she encounters our two friends, Maximilian and Paige, because the B-plot is very much about their continued adventures in New Mexico. We, the last time we saw them, of course, their trail had taken them to Tasuki, which we know is ultimately <laughs> on the right lines. Um, Paige is kind of catching the viewer up on the story, they do a bit of exposition through yeah. the device of Paige, of course, still in her wedding dress, speaking to her groom over a payphone to explain why she has to keep chasing this rather than being able to go on their honeymoon, which I think is where they would be up to at this point in their, uh, you know, in their sort of nuptials and everything. Um, they're on the verge of finding Penny. They're outside a diner, and indeed, it is the right one. They've worked through all the other ones in the area and have managed to locate it to the diner where she works. Um, they go to sit inside and pester her for uh, some information about Sarah Lynn, which immediately triggers Penny to ask, quote, is this about Bojack? Um, Penny denies any knowledge about anything when they immediately pick up on that and realise they're definitely on the right lines here. Um Maximilian and Paige are putting together in their own inimitable way, which I'm not going to obviously butcher on this podcast, but you have to go and watch. It's typical in the way it's all that very flowery wordplay. It's all a lot of fun and it's all a lot of silliness. But every single time they get to one of the end of their ridiculous turns of phrases, they've got closer and closer to cracking the case. So it's kind of functional as well as fun. Um, but they realise that there's suddenly more to Sarah Lynn's death. Uh, and indeed what Bojack might know about it. However, because they always go to such trouble to get their message out in such a ridiculous way, they miss Penny completely sneaking out and speeding <laughs> off in a car. Um, we are back in New Mexico later on. Obviously, this is all split between Diane's plot. Um, she's gone to see um, Charlotte catch up with her mother, but obviously it's because she's rattled by what's happened in the diner. Um, she's about to tell her in detail about everything that's gone on, but Paige and Maximilian have followed the car there um, and they explain why they're there, which kind of puts everybody back in the same understanding, puts Charlotte very much on edge because she realises where all this is going. Penny confesses to the whole room for the first time about Bojack and Sarah Lynn visiting her in college during the bender they were on, of course, ultimately that led to the death of Sarah Lynn. Um, Charlotte tries to pull Penny away, but Penny reveals um, the prom story um, once and for all, I guess, for Paige and Maximilian's benefit for the first time. So it really is a case of every character in the in the scene being at the same point knowledge-wise. There's like you are stripping away at the dramatic irony of what people know and what people don't, the secrets and the lies. Um, it finally goes pitch black 
uh, just before it can get pitch black dark and Penny can reveal the absolute worst, Kyle pops into the kitchen to say <laughs> to say hello. Um, good old Kyle. Uh, Charlotte diffuses the situation by saying that Maximilian Page are refrigerator and repair company reps and the refrigerator is fine. Um, Kyle reveals that there's got two of them, which which triggers Maximilian to say, oh, Rockefeller here. And they kind of slink off with Kyle having bought the story Hang completely. On. Hang on, I'm just gonna just have to do this line because it's here. Please do, please do. And we're here, and I just it needs to be done right because it's too good not to. I wet myself. Maximilian, by the way, in this episode, along with Kyle, has really come into his stride. <laughs> <laughs> but Kyle walks in and tries to tell him that the little wine fridge is behind the fritz when he thinks they're both from the refrigerator company or whatever. <laughs> and as they're leaving the house, so Paige is already gone. As he said, Max is on his way out the door and he goes, two refrigerators? Ha! Give my regards to the Rockefellers. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so stupid. It's so stupid. And yet it had me absolutely buckled over that did. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Um, you know, again, it's near impossible to read, near impossible to recap. But this choice to have these two tits. As it's wild. It's, it's wild. It's a wild one. I don't think it was for everybody. I think because the show was hurtling to its finale, um, it was divisive because I think people worried it was too lightweight to tackle the serious issues. But I think it like it delivers too much. I think it, it like it constantly delivers great lines, but it provides the light and the shade because the subject matter is incredibly dark. There's always a gag. It's funny that you mentioned about Maximilian poking his head around the corner because that's kind of their purpose. There is always something very silly lurking around the corner of these two, even if they're their style is also moving the plot forward. And I feel like you've hit the nail on the head there because it does have to move a little bit faster perhaps sometimes than maybe this show would like, as we tend to see a lot of with the final seasons of any show, truth be told. But they make these two characters such a whirlwind that you can't help but get caught up in the whirlwind, which is exactly what's happening. We're going to have to cover the entire plot lines from season two all the way through to the now as they un uncover them bit by bit. That with it comes with this whirlwind-like nature, this force of nature just whipping through town to town to try and find things out. Spit now God knows what <laughs> kind of words that are coming out of their mouth just to try and say all the things they could have said in two words when they say them in 52. It's wild, it's great, and it's very, very funny. If, of course, it was your cup of tea, as you say, not everybody liked it. It certainly was a choice. Um, but Penny doesn't think she's got a choice Nicholas there's a segue for you um she reveals to Charlotte that she's kept uh, the prom photo of all of them in the in a box under her bed um she does say that she looks nice in it but there's obviously sort of more reasons and more lingering feelings from the that, uh, fateful night um she's decided she wants to get the word out Charlotte desperately wants all of this to go away um she says as much she's kind of like crippled with regret of everything that's gone on but she just thinks that it's all better off just left in the background uh, Penny wants the experience to be for something. Um, of course, this is, as they often do with Bojack, this is linking to the central plot. She's kind of, in as many words, saying that she wants this damage to be good damage. Um, Charlotte notes, again, and we've heard this before, and it's always for women, um, if this story gets out, she won't have any control over it. And then there's a really great detail. Um, it's a throwaway line in terms of the context of the dialogue, but it's huge in terms of the story. She says, quote, uh, related, uh, sorry, referring to Penny, quote, she just got her panic attacks under control. Mm. Um, 
and she begs Penny to sleep on it a few days, which Penny agrees that she'll do. Um, it's then obviously after Penny's left, Charlotte asks if she wants to stay the night. And again, that you sense that she kind of thinks that if she's got her on a shorter leash, she won't do anything rash. Um, there's a lot happening here as well, because obviously Charlotte is wanting to be a good mother. She's wanting that like very, very regretful night to go away with Bojack. So like mm. the life that she's got with Kyle and the kids can just remain as is. Um, and she thinks maybe for the time being, at least she's got it. But the rage overcomes her once Penny's left. Um, she calls Bojack and we joined that call through the exact moment we saw Bojack like phone vibrating on the stage last week. Only this time it is through the lens of Todd, who is leaving the auditorium to find Bojack. He finds him, but he's not in a good way. It's right as uh, Charlotte has hung up in a rage and Bojack's panic attack has started and Bojack collapses as a shocked Todd goes and races for help. And that is where our episode comes to an end. We have brought everything back together, I guess. If there were any sort of loose ends in terms of the timeline or in terms of the two characters, now everybody from that mid-season break is caught up. We are all caught up and every strand of has hit the fan. Absolutely everything is starting to come together and no wonder Bojack dropped to the floor and had a difficult panic attack because this is the whole real world coming back and knocking on his door after mm-hmm. all this time and all this attempt at recovery. Unfortunately, Sometimes that just doesn't cut the mustard still. And it's all starting to happen. Oh, <laughs> baby. Oh, it didn't take long, did it? Two episodes yeah. into the second half of season six. And we are already getting all the big moments. One huge thing for me, just obviously you've touched a lot on the Penny and Charlotte situation. It's it's all a mess. What a mess this is. Like, what a mess. And everybody is worse off because of mm. it. Um the huge thing that stood out for me, though, between Charlotte and Penny is that moment after she kind of asks her to sleep on it and think about it before she goes forward. Obviously, there's the parallels to uh, Gina not wanting to have Bojack be the person who defines her and how much she would be caught up in being the girl who Jack Horseman choked on set. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's trying to illustrate that and to Penny, and she's kind of doesn't want that for her. She was like, and then you can't control the narrative. Once it gets out of control, it doesn't belong to you anymore. And... You can't decide whether people are saying it's the truth or false. There's a real commentary in there as well, in particular, about what even is the truth. If everybody yeah. else is telling the lie, who, who knows what the truth is. But the biggest thing that stuck with me was just how much I think they make it out that this has really broken this family up. Like, mm-hmm. not just on a level of inside themselves, on, on a level of, I don't think Penny wants to be in that house anymore. I don't think Penny wants to spend time with her mom anymore. I don't think... Penny's that comfortable with the family in general. That's the home where this all yeah. happened. I know it was on Bojack's board, but this is where it happened. The, uh, it doesn't feel like a coincidence that she's a little bit more angsty when she's in there because it, it's probably a trigger. The whole house is a trigger at this point, especially mm-hmm. as we find out the detail about the panic attacks and stuff. But it's just really sad. It's sad that you see that the, the relationship between Penny. And funnily enough, um, we don't see... Uh, little Trip, who is of course the brother of Penny mm. and the son of Kyle and Charlotte as well. On top of this, he's not even a feature in this, and it's hard to wonder if. And I know technically Penny comes back as a surprise, but once she's there, it's hard to wonder if Trip has just kind of kept out the way of it all because he's probably too young. Because these are hugely adult things that are going on in the world now, and it's just sad. The whole thing's real yeah. sad. The only one who's having a good time is is Kyle. <laughs> It was just watching watching birthday dad and having a good time. More on that later on, I'm sure. 
Um, but yeah, that, a huge takeaway from all this, and it's scary, exciting, and you know, overwhelming for it all to be unfolding in the way that it is. But it does make for some good telly. I will say that. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, you're right. You know, that's a... Uh, a really good spot about the the energy, the the negative energy that exists in the house. The house that when we first met it was subject to one of the all-time great Bojack Pops. But like now that is that's earned. That's not just a gag for the sake of a gag. It's not just a parody of some credits. It's not just a piss take and piss funny. It's this thing that has been destroyed by Bojack. Yeah. And we knew that then. But the whole point of Charlotte's F bomb was to try and draw a line under it, wasn't it? You know, she was. It was the end of it. It was the end of it. Yeah. If, yeah. if Bojack has got to live with that, he's got to get on his boat and sail back to Hollywood. But she can make this an ending. And it turns out that she couldn't. Or she has tried and it can only be half an ending. Or the worry is that Penny will take an ending and think, ah, I want to start that again. And Charlotte. She's a pennies an adult now. Charlotte only has very kind of limited control over that. And it's just, ah, oh, God. Yeah, just the whole thing. And the other tiny note before we move on, just before we go to the horsing around segment of the show, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, we probably need at this point. God bless Bojack Horseman for being better than the show you like, because I don't know if you recall, dear listeners, but a little while ago when we were talking about this, I mentioned that was it a little bit dodgy that uh, Charlotte just let Penny go and do th- these things with Bojack? Like, there's a not that I was blaming Charlotte, but I was saying there's also a small portion of, I guess, mm. because they just assumed Bojack was a. But when it's, I think, in fact, in fact I think it was the uh, mid-season finale. I was talking about the Pete repeat stuff and saying like, is that not? Was it not a bit weird? Because the way he describes it out of context, it sounds very strange. And was it not a bit strange that Charlotte wasn't feeling more like what like God, oh, I should have I should have realized how weird that was. I let my daughter go to prom with a fully yeah. grown man. We see it, of course, in this episode, because that's Bojack Horseman doesn't miss a beat. 
RBW and the guys make sure you know. And I was a little bit like, oh, we haven't seen any of that yet. It seems weird that nobody else is. Bojack is obviously quite very clearly to blame for all of it. But there is also still that little res- the parental responsibility that comes with being Charlotte. And of course, we see it. She's That's why we're getting the phone call at the end of this, because she herself has been running away from something that she, she knows she probably should face up to or probably should tackle in some way, shape or form more perhaps than just dropping an F-bomb on a boat and telling Bojack <laughs> to get the hell out of her life. Aye, yeah. Um, you got any jokes? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got this great joke about a moth. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll save that for Norm MacDonald's rest in peace to the man himself. Anyway, shall we go and do a bit of horsing around on the topic yes, of please. animals? Where we go back throughout the episode and we find all of the hidden meanings behind things, the small details you might have missed, or indeed just the Easter eggs that have been dotted around the episode. So we go back to the very beginning. We start off at Hubba Bubba Field, as you mentioned, Michael, the home of the baby humans <laughs> who have been an interesting addition to this show, I think, ever since they debuted when Diane first went to Chicago. Uh, they are, of course, I think we've mentioned this before, but just because we like to be thorough, um, a little twist on the Chicago Cubs, you know, baby bears. Baby humans, it's all very clever. But interestingly, as was noted on a Reddit thread that I was looking through as I was searching for a bit more from this, uh, the mascot uh, of the giant baby human in the diaper and all that kind of thing is very, very similar looking when you see it compared in a picture to the mascot for um, it's the New Orleans mascot, the King Cake Baby mascot, <laughs> which if you know <laughs> it and you see the picture, it is almost identical, minus the fact that the uh, the King Cake baby mascot has the crown on its head, obviously. Uh, but it's very, very similar looking. Equally terrifying. And, the, <laughs> and that mascot is in real life. So <laughs> there you go. And I did also get a big laugh out of Chicago-style big potato. <laughs> I mean, yep, okay. We love oh, I recommend show. them. I think they're great. Yeah. Chicago big Mike fun. says, get it in you. We go. I have to point out as well the brilliant montage that is Diane's antidepressant montage or to give it a spot on him diane antidepressants style as is <laughs> the twist on the chicago style uh, we see a few things the notables i've pulled from here as she's walking down the street there is the marathon of runners who get in her way she tries to cross the street who are of course michael all rats which makes oh, them a rat race a rat race very nice very nice they are also if you're paying attention you will see the hot dog stand that she goes past is called Dogs made of cows, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. is the painful truth, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the reality. Um, <laughs> we go back to uh, Guy's house in Chicago. Uh, I guess technically get a Guy and Diane's place, but we find out, as mm-hmm. you said, because of the toilet reference, it still feels like Guy's house. Yeah. Um, one of the brilliant bits where Diane is trying to get her laptop to work, but the whole power's gone out, she creates this contraption. <laughs> where she essentially hangs a fishing line out with a sandwich on it, and an eel person walks past, bites the sandwich, electrifies the hanging sandwich, which goes <laughs> up through the contraption, and powers the house back up, because antidepressant-style Diane Michael can get anything <laughs> done, including contraptions. Also, I thought you might like the lyrics from the song, the fun song that is being yes, sung, well, antidepressant-style Diane is having a good old time and solving all these problems. Pick yourself right up when you're feeling down. Friendly, smiling faces all around. The sun is shining down on you and me. Happiness is there for all to see. Everybody, come on 
and get your happy shoes on. I said, everybody, come on and get your happy shoes on. I don't know about <laughs> you, Michael, but I'm already skipping the bed tonight when we finish this record. <laughs> Lovely stuff. We go from there, the end of that, that is the cold open, of course. We go to the opening credits. There's no changes again there this week. So we'll move swiftly on to the first, as I've split them up here, uh, Diane's stupid piece of sh- animation is what I've called it. But I guess mm. we, should, we should probably call it Diane's good damage animation number one uh, is the first first instance we get. Uh, obviously, these are all excellent just from the animation style alone. But a few, it would be impossible to pull all of the bits out because it's so fast paced and there's lots going on. But I've pulled out a few notables. Uh, obviously, all the line drawings for here are these squiggly, as you mentioned, note like drawings. I've also noted that the, the sort of the four coloured strips of paper with dialogue that is written on them in typewriter dialogue. So it's mm. all the creative semantic of Diane trying to come up with work and writing notes and typing stuff down all in this one thing to show you we are in her creative brain, but in her own combined rather with her mental health as she's trying to figure yeah. things. Slightly, it's the slight different twist to Bojack's stupid piece of day to day brain, as I think we noted too early, earlier rather. Um, all the characters are a little bit like little paper cutouts who are sort of placed on what would be the note board when she was trying to come up with like a storyboard almost. Mm. Uh, it's all very interesting. Uh, and I did think it was notable that young Diane in this first one is illustrated in a very specific style, which is similar to that of the Peanuts uh, comic, which we've also seen before, uh, which was oh, Diane yeah. when she's on the, what is it, the advice booth or whatever she's on. Back yes. in season one, episode 11, where Bojack is trying to talk to her to figure out his thoughts or whatever it is. Mm. And Diane is born in that similar style. We see it again here. She's as a baby uh, or as a young, very, very young Diane. And it's a nice callback, I think, to Bojack's trip in that episode. But also Diane yeah. on a bit of a journey of her own, I think we can all agree. Um, we go across there to the mall. Uh, we, we sit in the food court where Diane is sitting there. She's doing her work on a laptop, and you can see that she has a coffee cup as she sits in sort of a, the, the food court eating area, I guess it is. Of course, Michael, the coffee cup has a name on it, doesn't it? Because it's a coffee cup, and that is a gag we've seen throughout the show. What's the name of the coffee cup? Did you notice it? Did you not? I'm, I don't. I, can I have a guess? Would you let a guess go on? Have a guess. Is it blonde? It is indeed blonde. Well done. Oh, but I was going to say, bully for you, is the uh, Ron Swanson would say. <laughs> Um, the callback, of course, to Diane's days working for Starbucks. Blonde was indeed the name that she used to have on her name tag that was the ironic name given because she was against the system or whatever she was trying to do, she yeah. said back in the day, which she ended up talking herself out of, I believe, when she first meets <laughs> Mr. Peanutbutter. Um, <laughs> brilliant stuff. The shop next door to the coffee shop, which we never get to see the name of the coffee shop, but the shop next door is called a shop like I think you and I would both enjoy, Pizza by the Spoonful. <laughs> yeah, love it. Big fan. <laughs> Sounds like something we should push for in the UK, let me tell you that. There's a couple of wall adverts as well next to it. One of them is for Hoss, Bugo Hoss, Michael, which is, of course, a twist on Hugo Boss, quite literally just swapping the first the first letters. Uh, and the picture is, of course, a horse man in a suit. It's uh, just there looking all sharp. There's another one for... <laughs> If you liked Leonard, Leonardo and DiCaprio or whatever he's called in this, <laughs> then you're going to love Banana Republic. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of course, a twist on Banana Republic. 
uh, but quite simple. Banana Republic, and then the other shot we see at the bottom <laughs> is instead of Gap Kids, we get Bah Kids. <laughs> B A H. Don't, don't, it's okay. You're allowed to. You're a dad. I think it's allowed every now and again. We go across from there, though. To, it's sort of a little back and forth from there. And Wesley and Campus, of course, Bojack is on the phone talking to Diane. We see in the background as Bojack is walking across campus. There's a man or a student, I assume, who is painting a picture on uh, a canvas that's on an easel. You'd think it was going to be good, but it is just a blue drawing of a lime stick person. It's really crap. <laughs> And there was just some sort of commentary here, I think, on people just going to university to try things out. And you feel like you're going off to be an artist or you're going off to be a writer or a whatever. Mm. Some people are definitely cut out for that life. And some people are just having a good time and paying yeah. for having a good time, I think, while they figure out what it is they will eventually end up doing. Uh, we go back quickly to the food mall court or the food court mall, rather. The mall food court, third time's the charm. Um, Diane, of course, on the phone at Bojack. She does a little bit, doesn't she? She's talking about uh, the weather and the temperature about Chicago, thinking that 49 degrees is spring. She says, hey, Chicago, 49 degrees is not spring. It's the non-liché half of a boy band, of course, as we find out, referring to as she literally spells out with a bojack almost in a like, do you get it? Do you get the joke where she says, yeah, 49, you know, because it's not 98 degrees. It's half of 49. Half of 49 is half of 98. Um, and of course... Referring to 98 Degrees, the band who were the boy band made up of Jeff Timmons, Justin Jeffrey, and of course, Nick and Drew Lachey, Michael, the Lachey brothers. There you go. It's all relevant. Um, we go back to Wesleyan campus. Bojack kind of berates Diane on the phone for saying, like, don't workshop stuff on the phone to me. Like in a casual <laughs> conversation. And then he does a great reference to Howie Mandel and how he used to workshop his stuff in casual conversations. <laughs> and then references the famous Howie Mandel bit with the glove, where he puts the glove over his nose, like in, inflates yeah. it by breathing through his nose. You've all seen the bit at some point. It might not have been Howie Mandel. You've seen it before. Um, but a great reference from Bojack there. Love this idea that Howie's just wandering around with a glove in his pocket. So he can do the bit at one point. He's got there's it. A great, there's actually a really great clip of him doing it with um, Ted Danson. Um, and Ted Danson's got one on as well and just is struggling to do it the way that it's supposed to work. <laughs> the whole thing feels very, very not funny. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, not like an episode of Becker, of course, which would be hilariously funny. Um, oh. We go across to the Rattlesnack Diner, Michael, which is, of course, a bit of a bit in its own because it's not the Rattlesnake Diner, it's the Rattlesnack Diner. Do you get it? Do you get the joke? And as a result, the logo for that diner is a rattlesnake wearing a sombrero and holding, can we call it holding? Because it clearly doesn't have any hands. Two yeah. guns while sort of sporting a moustache as well. It's just it's all yeah. very <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> very good. Um, Yosemite Sam, if he was a snake, Michael, not yeah. Wiley Coyote, as I was thinking there. Yosemite <laughs> Sam, anyway. Uh, there's also, if you look in the foreground of this shot when we first get the establishment shot, there's a road signpost for Route 64, and then below it it says, also a good route. <laughs> of course, how famous Route 66 is, and even better, I did mention how Maximilian Banks is starting to come into his own in this show. Just a funny addition and does some stupid stuff. And as he looks, as he and uh, Paige Sinclair are looking for Penny, they've already been through three pennies who weren't here, Penny uh, Carsons in New Mexico. They find their fourth. He sees her in the restaurant, and he turns to her to go, like, 
to give her the signal. Cacao, cacao. And as he does the typical signal, an actual beard woman walks out of the restaurant. We <laughs> <laughs> immediately offends by looking like he's doing some impression of a beard in her face and has to apologise. It catches you off guard. It's really funny stuff. <laughs> we go from there back to Diane's good damage animation number two, as we called it, diving in there. Diane's head, in, as you mentioned, has these gold cracks in it that have been put back together by Mr. Peanut Butter, just like the ball that he breaks and glues back together, as he says. And he mentions it's Kintsugi, as he talks about in the uh, in the animation, at various different stages. And of course, for anybody who doesn't know, is the Japanese art of Kintsugi, which is also known as Golden Joinery, Michael, which is the mm-hmm. translation, uh, is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer, dusted, or mixed with powdered gold, silver, or platinum. And as a philosophy, by the way, a philosophy I really enjoyed when I read up a bit more on this, it treats breakage and repair as part of the history of an object rather than something to disguise, which is obviously very fitting for this whole episode. But I just kind of like the idea of that, and it made me think, you know, the next time I break something in this house, I'm not just going to throw it away. I'm going to super glue it together with gold or something. And then I definitely aren't going to do that. And it will 100% be getting thrown away. <laughs> I did the idea of it, Michael. It's what you could call, I guess, good damage. <laughs> it's good damage. That's what it, you guess. It's a little bit damaged. Right? It's good damage. It's good damage. If you look closely, you'll find it's good damage. It's all good, baby, baby. It's what I would say <laughs> to that. We go from Diane's uh, good damage animation all the way across to Princess Carolyn's office. Uh, and if you just catch a quick glimpse of her screen, you will see there is a review that's coming for Birthday Dad, no less. Of course, this new hot show. I don't know if you've heard of it, Michael, but it's all good because Rad Dad, not bad, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> also, while Princess Carolyn is on the phone to Diane, I found this entertaining. I don't know why, because of the numbers, I guess. She says, great news. Birthday Dad premiered last night to a 0.006, which is the biggest network hit since the inventor of blood scented perfume went on Shark Tank and got her arm bitten off. <laughs> the low, reflectively lowness of this rating is is wild, but I love yeah. how it's like, it's huge. This is a massive hit. <laughs> TV's back. TV's bad and it's in the toilet. <laughs> We go across from there again. We get the back and forth between Princess Carolyn and Diane. We go back to the uh, the mall food court, and Diane mentions on the phone to Princess Carolyn when asked about what the book is going to be about. I just like this the whole um, little bit of dialogue from Diane. She says, "I think it's about trauma or damage. You know those bowls that break and then the cracks get filled with gold, mm-hmm. and then they're even more beautiful. Maybe it's like that. You know, like we've all been damaged, but it's good damage because it makes us who we are. Is that anything?" And I love love that there is that anything at the end of this, because how many comedians have you ever heard talk about whenever they say something? Is that anything? Yeah. She's still trying to form this idea in her head, but little does she know it's going to come out in a completely different way later on in the episode. So from there, we go across to the Rattlesnacks Diner. A uh, couple of bits in here. First of all, Maximilian and Paige are trying to hide themselves behind newspapers in there to disguise themselves away from Penny, so she doesn't know where they are. Uh, they're reading the Santa Fe News Mexican, which is not a typo. It is, of course, just called the Santa Fe News Mexican. I don't know why it's not called the <laughs> Santa Fe News Mexico, but there you go. That's what it says. Uh, on the front is a great headline with a massive picture that says, Maya says centipede pickpocket, unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> the more I thought about the idea of centipede pickpocket, the more I imagine, yeah, he probably is unstoppable, to be fair. Or maybe she. 
Could be a hero mm-hmm. machine, Michael. Who knows? Um, we also see on the back of the of the, the newspaper, there's a graph. <laughs> I want this for a callback, Michael. Look at this graph. <laughs> on the back of the newspaper that we see. And it is basically a graph that shows uh, the number of attacks that have been happening. It's sort of got started low and then gone up in a spike and then low and dropped down again. On mm-hmm. The curve is on the bend to the negative once again. Uh, and it's next to a picture, Michael, of a rabid looking clown is what we see. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe we are to assume is a callback, of course, to Todd's clown dentist, who we see yeah. he sets into the wild at the end of season four, episode 12. I believe it's season four, episode 12, he does it. And I guess there's been, <laughs> I don't know, some attacks <laughs> going on. There's a definite spike, though, and it is in the downturn, but it's nice to see a little callback there anyway. We also get a bunch of stuff, of course, when they finally drop the newspapers down and they ask Penny a few questions. She shoots away and disappears in her car and drives off. And <laughs> just there was loads, so much dialogue here, but a little bit that I managed to pluck and enjoyed was between Paige and Max uh, when she's driving off. They say, oh, poop. Our scoop's flown the coop before Max shouts, go, 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 got to stay in the loop. <laughs> yeah, these two are ridiculous. They are a choice, I believe, as you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, we go to Diane's good damage animation number three. Uh, I like that Todd is in this one and he's holding a book, which when he's asking her if all it's going to be is her complaining um, and the book has got, he's got like the baby Diane on him in the little the strap on thing that he would have. Ruthie and normally Diane's uh, strapped in there. But the book cover reads, Whiny Diane's Tome of Belly Aching. <laughs> I like a lot. In fact, based on that carry case, you could say that this is Baby Bjorn Bored. Hey. Look at you. Look at yeah. you. We go from there across to Guy's house over in Chicago. Guy and Diane's new spot. And I love that Guy knows how to handle Diane and knows how to help her and get out of where she needs to go and support her when she needs the support. But he comes out with, who does he think he is? Podcast host and with this kind of joke, he drops down into Diane and says, Diane, I'm going to tell you what I always tell my good friend, Eileen. And the, the setup's there, Michael. You it's know there. where he's going. And he doesn't go there. He, he it. <laughs> Eileen, come on. <laughs> But the setup was so perfect. And Diane, brilliantly, I love what they do here because she tries not to laugh. And she sort of does this little, like, little snort and she looks across them because he knows that and he knows how good, yeah. he, like, how good a little joke like that can be for her. Just, just, just break her up. And she loves it, really. It was just really cute. A really nice moment, that. But a great subversion of, come on, Eileen. Of course. <laughs> Eileen, come on. <laughs> we go across to Princess Carolyn's office. There's a little bit of back and forth between Princess Carolyn and Judah uh, when she kind of has that idea for to do Robin Hood, but from the perspective of um, Maid Marion, I think it is. Um, mm. They have this little back and forth, and she says, come to think of it, a new Robin Hood sounds pretty good. Judah says, maybe from Maid Marion's point of view. Princess Carolyn says, directed by Sophie Coppola. And Judah says, I'll try Rebecca Ferguson's agent. And I love that these are very much like, it's a, there's a great comedy here on, this is kind of stuff that's happening in Hollywood over and over again. The same stories, but just being told from a different perspective. Now that they are obviously, it's in vogue, certainly in the yeah. world of Hollywood, to now find a way to provide empowering roles for women in Hollywood. For starters, it's about damn time. But on top of that, they're also doing it because it's on the trend, isn't it? They don't really yes. want to do it, but they're doing it because it's on trend. And I like how this 
sort of showcase that. And then later on, even better, Judah comes back with the information and says, just got back word from Sophia. She's booked for the next year, developing a new Peter Pan from Wendy's point of view. And Rebecca's doing a limited series about the female ticket taker at the cinema where Batman's parents got shot. <laughs> I mean, really, I would watch. Yeah, of course. I, it really made me laugh, though, because they've broken down the formula for Hollywood, real-life Hollywood, so perfectly here, because this yeah. is literally the sort of stuff that's going on oh, on a regular basis. I couldn't help but think of Joker and this, the you know, the whole, let's tell Todd Phillips' story from the... Jo- Joker ain't a bad guy, he's a good guy. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> you're just one bad day away from being a bad guy. Let's tell that story. Okay, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I should point out, I did enjoy Joker for the most part, but I do understand the criticisms that come with it. And the, uh, and yeah, the spotlight behind it, I guess, that maybe mm. was questionable, especially when we're seeing right in this show, maybe just spotlight more women. Do you know something from this, though? That a little less, I guess, because um, you're right, and I think the cynical takeaways were the big ones. Yeah. Just in flashes and in little glimpses, it was really great to see... Uh, PC and Judah back in action. Yes. Together like this for the first time off the back Simpatico, of their Simpatico. Like, very Simpatico. Yeah, lovely. Really nice. Mm. They are they are good for business in every mm. single meaning of the word. Those two work together so goddamn well. But from there we go across to Animal Pharmacy, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yes, in itself is, of course, a wink and a nod. Shout out George Orwell. Pharmacy, of course, spelled F-A-R-M-A-C-E. Um, but it is, of course... Bojack Horseman, so it is still an animal pharmacy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is it? Good legs, <laughs> four legs, good, two legs, bad, something like that. <laughs> All the callbacks are coming out now. Thank you, GCSE English. <laughs> <laughs> There's also some posters on the wall, though, inside this pharmacy. Uh, one of them is get your kids vaccinated, Chicago style. <laughs> and it's a I mean, Still support it. Yeah. Like... Still support it, but. It, you might well. I was going to say you might do less so, but when you see, when you hear the rest of it, but maybe not actually. It's a syringe that you see inside a hot dog bun that is covered in sauce and relish and all other sorts of bits. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> get them vaccinated. And it feels like even though they definitely didn't plan it for this, they're talking about other things. Feels even more relevant now, this doesn't it? Mm. Um, there's also another poster that says symptoms of chickenpox, and there's a sort of graphic of a chicken person standing up with loads of uh, the spots, but it's all silhouetted out. Uh, it says mm-hmm. symptoms of chickenpox: headache, fever, swollen glands, itchy rash, clucking and pecking. <laughs> 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 Which aren't really symptoms of it, Michael. Do you get the joke? Let's see what it's chicken stuff. Chicken stuff. Days, mate. They've got chicken for days. Um, there's also a machine <laughs> there called the blood pressure check machine, and there's a little sign <laughs> just next to it that says. If, you know, you put your arm in the thing and, you and it tells you the, the blood pressure, a little sign that says, if arm gets stuck, ring bell at counter, which sounds really helpful, you know, get yourself a helping hand. It would if you weren't stuck in the machine, which was far too far away from the bell at the counter that you can see that is clearly too far of a distance away, <laughs> you would not be able to press that goddamn bell. Or maybe you would, because this is Bojack Horseman. Who knows who's got their arm stuck in that machine? Mm-hmm. There's also a little gauge at the bottom with three bars that are going up and down as sort of the readings for this. And the text above it just reads, got health? A bit in the same <laughs> style of the got milk ads, of course. But I just thought, what a what a brilliant way to do this. Um, 
I guess by the time you've done the test, you'll know it as well, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> we go across to Charlotte's house in New Mexico, or the Kyle and the kids and everybody's house, but it's Charlotte's house feels more important. Um, Maximilian, though, after Paige asks the question of, uh, or certainly questions Penny's driving because she sort of says she should have been able to drive better to not give away where she was going. They wouldn't have been able to tail her so well. She says something to the effect of a lady should not always tell people where she's going or something along that line. But from there, Maximilian says, yeah, who taught you how to drive, he says, which seems like a throwaway line. But if you think back, Michael, it is a wink and a nod, of course, that one in itself. Because what does Bojack do? He takes Penny out in his car. Oh, yeah. In season two, episode 11, which is, of course, where it all goes wrong. Um, Escape from L.A., I believe the episode is called. He is, of course, take, he does, of course, take Penny for like a little driving yes. lesson in his car where she dings it against the signpost or whatever. I can't remember. Yeah, good causes, spot. Good catch that. Yeah, she causes a bit of good damage. But it is, of course, trying to get you to think about what was going on and, of course, the events that are unfolding right now. So Bojack Horseman, of course, was the person who taught her to drive. Again, <laughs> questionable parenting choices. But, hey, <laughs> let's keep the blame on Bojack for the time being. I don't want to shit on Charlotte too much because I do like Charlotte's character. Um, but then, of course, when they're introducing themselves to the family, Paige Sinclair describes herself as intrepid gal reporter. But then another <laughs> stupid, brilliant pop she says, Paige Sinclair, intrepid gal reporter. And Max says, and I'm Max. <laughs> and there's just this weird, awkward pause where he like right. raises one eyebrow, but nothing else gets said and nobody moves for about two beats. And then we just get back <laughs> to what we're doing. It's really funny. That is, of course, followed up with the refrigerator's joke. I won't do it again. But of course, a funny one nonetheless. Once Kyle bursts into the room. Uh, we go back, though, to another um, good damage animation of Diane's, a fourth one. This is the one, though, where she's off the medication and things mm. are a lot more like stupid piece of shit. Uh, there's a lot more of the negative effects of Diane not being on the meds. She's very submissive to the voices in her head in this particular instance. She was kind of going back and forth with them in the previous ones, but she's very much like, yeah, you're right, I'm rubbish, or yeah, you're right, this is bad, or she just completely gives up to whatever they say. Uh, there's a lot of criticisms, a lot of accusations from the voices. The animations themselves are so much darker, so much more evil looking, in keeping with the sort of vibe of stupid piece of shit. But also mm -hmm. Bojack's weird trip that he had, which is kind of referenced because of that little Miss Peanuts um, animation style that I mentioned earlier on in the episode, which makes you think about that specific episode. Um, mm -hmm. Also, Mr. Peanut Butter saying, are you, uh, you know, one of those stupid pop culture analogies I'm always doing? Because you're charming at first, but eventually, enough already, which I loved as a little sort of commentary on his gags, but also really not great. This It's a weird in the context when he's saying it because everything's pretty dark at this point in the animation. Mm. Uh, we go back once again, though, to Charlotte's house in New Mexico. Now, a bit of fun, I guess. A lot of fun, I think we should point out. Kyle. Oh, God damn it, man. Kyle. <laughs> just... Kyle is out of shot for a lot of this episode, but you can hear him on numerous occasions. And he cannot get enough. Of course he can't. He cannot get enough of Birthday Dad, Michael. He's watching Birthday Dad in the other room <laughs> and having an absolute blast. We get the rule of three where he's coming in and shouting through the room to talk to Charlotte at numerous different occasions. The first time he says, Char, hey, you got to get in here. This episode of Birthday Dad's an old-timer. <laughs> and he 
he's cracked up. He's laughing his head off in the background. Such a you can imagine the dad jokes that are going off in there, and he's loving yeah. every minute of it. Then we kind of get a bit of the yes, a bit of what's going on in birthday dad. I guess Kyle shouts through once again. Charlotte birthday dad just got trapped in a leap year. How's he going <laughs> to wriggle out of this one? <laughs> His delivery is far better than mine. He's still laughing his head off. He loves every minute of it. <laughs> and then finally, he shouts back through to the room. Oh, is that the international dateline? Don't go over the dateline, birthday dad, because then it won't be your birthday anymore. <laughs> it's like sort of really effective within itself because I'm like, oh, I kind of want to see one episode of birthday dad. You know, like, I want to look at it. You can't yeah. tell me that after all this, you weren't a little bit curious about what was going on in Birthday Dad. I know yeah. I certainly was. Um, but from there, anyway, we go back to Wesleyan University in the lecture hall, of course, when Bojack is doing the performance with the students. It all finishes off, and Princess Carolyn sort of says to Todd, come on, let's go. And Todd says, but I want to save us an after credit scene, which <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's a bunch of things going on here. One, the human brain has been trained differently. Thank you very much, Marvel, for all of that. Um, which I feel like is definitely a dig in the Marvel films because I know <laughs> RBW probably has some thoughts about them. But I did also think it was interesting because it's just Todd and he just doesn't even know that this isn't a, a film. <laughs> There's kind of that going on as well, which I did think was rather funny. But those are all the things from Horsing Around this week, everything we could break down. But we do, of course, as always, still have time for one last thing. And then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this podcast forever. Or maybe, Michael, we should just call it Michael and Adam's whiny tome of belly aching at the end. Yeah, I don't <laughs> change the name of it now. So who knows if the book still even stands? But that was the inspiration for the one last thing. We do still have time for one last thing. Going to throw you a curveball here. Yeah? I'm on a mm. bit of a roll, and I've already mentioned my one last thing quite a lot. But there's a little bit more that I wanted to dive into. Okay. My one last thing is Kyle watching birthday dad. Okay. Because there's a lot going on here, isn't there? It's a stupid gag. It's a really, really daft gag, this. Like, hilariously yeah. daft. But it's so pointed because what it is cutting through very deliberately and, um, you know, I, I guess in such a huge contrast, points I will get on to, yeah, is it goes on a lot when Penny and Charlotte are having to discuss the very nature of everything that's happened with Bojack and this huge moment that's happened between them all which has redefined their lives forever it happens once when they're in the kitchen i think um when maximilian and page have just visited uh where that first bit but the second bit i think that the second two parts i think happen while penny and charlotte are having this really deep conversation in penny's old bedroom uh, and trying to discuss what the best course of action is and whether they should open this old box again or not sometimes uh, literally and sometimes figuratively, of course, with the wider knowledge of what's actually gone on and what they tell Paige and Maximilian. That's just a huge commentary here, isn't there? Because there's a guy, a stupid, stupid guy who's just sitting there watching the telly, some dumb bloke who's watching the telly and having a blast. He's watching another dumb man who's on a TV show, <laughs> which he's fallen arse backwards into because he just gets an opportunity. Mr. Peanut Butter, of course, I'm referring to, who's yeah. just a stupid dumb bloke, while the women upstairs are having to deal with this unfathomably large, awful thing that they've been dealing yeah. with for so long. And we never really find out whether Kyle is privy to this either, by the way, I should point out. You would assume maybe he was because he's a father. But then again, it's Kyle and he's... Just sitting in the living room, just... and he's just there for a good time, not a long time. Um, and I just, 
all of this is happening because another dumb man has done something that's caused the lives of these two women to be disrupted and changed forever. I just I feel like it's a good it's a good overarching thing of men are just doing stupid stuff and being distracted while the women are having to deal with these huge unthinkable things and it's it is it's a funny gag but it serves its purpose very well as well in in that department yeah it's an excellent spot that as you say like all within the same house but the divided lives and the divided challenges that uh, people are having to leave mostly because of the gender as you say fundamentally you know this is absolutely killing penny and charlotte up in that bedroom uh, but Kyle's not dying. He's flying. Just sat he's there not enjoying play, He's thing. flying. He is indeed, Johnny. It's just he's having his great night. Mine is a, a lighter one. So I appreciate you going first. But it was only really something I spotted kind of as we were going through the review, which comes at the very end in the form of Diane offering her polite applause to Bojack's showcase. Mm. And it struck me that even after we've just seen Diane suffer through this episode to ultimately... Um, devise, create, and manifest Ivy Tratton, she has, at her worst, at her lowest, medicated, non-medicated, etc., shaped beautifully, as you said, made it very clear with the animation style as well, this wonderful, fully formed character with a backstory that was believable, that felt true. Bojack, in the meantime, has spent three months as his best self to put on the showcase of these people that we know are doing a terrible job of presenting because we've seen them in Alcoholics Anonymous. The backstory doesn't make sense. The performance isn't well drawn. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel lived in. It doesn't feel true. And this is Bojack getting his flowers and his standing ovation. And Diane just still feels like she's getting clobbered for this. Like she's not, she's still not getting what she wants. And yet she's achieved more from her lowest ebb in the same amount of time as Bojack has from the peak of his mental health. And it, it just sort of struck me. And she's got to watch this show and him getting all this applause and all this sort of celebration at this, you know, this achievement, I guess you could call this showcase. And she's accepting Ivy Tran as, all right, maybe I can find some good in this, just maybe. And it's 10 times any of the characters that appeared on the stage that she's just watched. Absolutely. And I think if you were to take one still that sums that up really, really well, Bojack is literally standing in the spotlight while hmm. Diane is sat in a chair in the shade yeah. clapping along with everybody else and rattling their jewelry, all the people in the in the, in the audience. <laughs> That's something really about that, isn't it? I mean, it's the story of the show as a whole, <laughs> I think, for so long. But yeah, even the smallest bit of growth from a man in Hollywood and everyone goes mad. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> the best, one of the best minds female minds in Hollywood can't even catch a break. Even when she does something great, she can't even congratulate herself because she's not no. sure had something that she even wants. Oh, God. It's a gift and a curse. A fantastic gift. I think you're going to agree. Um, <laughs> anyway, those are our one last things. Those was all the horsing around bits, which leaves us now, Michael, only just plug this podcast mm. as we usually do because that's the end of the show, folks. The end of the show. We've had our flowers for this particular episode. So if you'd like to give us some more flowers, though, digital ones, I suppose, or just abuse or whatever the hell you'd like to do via social media. Uh, if you want to talk yourself horse about a talking horse, you can do just that. Follow this podcast at Podcast Horseman on Twitter or Instagram. Please do send us all your messages. You can send us uh, on some post something on our wall. Uh, 
send us a query, send us a question, drop us a DM. Of course, we can't read them all. Well, sorry, we can read them all. We can't reply to them all uh, because there's so many. But please do send them. We love getting those. It's nice to hear what you guys are thinking about in terms of the show. Let us know everything you're thinking and feeling about the sort of very, very, very emotional home stretch of the final mm -hmm. parts of Bojack Horseman and indeed Podcast Horseman. You can also, though, if you'd like to, just a little bit extra, follow either of your hosts. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at it's Adam Nicholas. You can also follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. Um, you can get Podcast Horseman on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon Music, if you're not picking up the latest Ivy Tran first, uh, on Overcast, on everywhere that does podcasts. Some of them are great, some of them are terrible, but the main thing is they all carry Podcast Horsemen, as do our good friends at Acast. You can find a stream and subscribe link in the uh, tweet that goes out every Friday. New episodes, not for much longer, but they've been there every Friday since the very beginning. If this is your first time experiencing Podcast Horsemen, thanks for joining us. Now get all the way back to the beginning, because you've got nearly two years of all this good stuff, and it's all going to be over soon. So delay the inevitable, as we have tried in vain to do in the season break as we hurtle towards it. But yes, if you want to use any of those aforementioned apps to leave us a rating or review it's really great let's spend a few more weeks fooling the algorithm and rocketing our way up those tv charts um and if you get five if you leave us a five star review you stand a chance of getting inducted into our hollywood talk of fame say something nasty say something nice do whatever you like but slap five stars on it and we will give you your very own named star and one is going to be coming the way this week of shoeezy 92 terrific name sure easy um with a uh, line in the review bo jacks of all trades thank you for the five stars great pod by great lads got into the podcast and show just to listen to more of the what culture gang just like the show this podcast is better than the podcast that you like keep up the good work gents thank you very much so easy 92 i it's occurred to me and i think about this every week and everything to mention it I always think like it's a bit wanky to read all this praise out, isn't it? I want to make it clear that we're only doing it to justify the stars, not to justify our spiraling and flailing egos. We are not like <laughs> the Speak for yourself. We are not like the eponymous character with which we review every week. Thank you for fooling an algorithm, not for fooling us into thinking that we mean any more than <laughs> Diane. I need you to tell me I'm good. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Once a week, please tell us we're good. <laughs> no, we do. We love getting them in. It's always we, I. I only like them because I like to hear people are engaged and having yeah. a good time with the podcast. It's always nice to hear that you guys are enjoying it. Because let's be honest, we only started because the show was so goddamn good, and we didn't think enough people were talking about it. But it seems that is certainly grown, whether it's with the listeners of the show or indeed. With other podcasts, Michael, quick shout out, why mm. the hell not, to Bojack Horsepod, who decided to get in touch recently over Twitter to start a fight, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> but in fairness, we don't do fighting on Podcast Horsemen. We just love the fact there's more podcasts out there doing the show. And for anybody who is loving our show, and also with very, very much being in the knowledge that ours will be coming to end soon, yeah, it's a nice olive branch. Why not go and check it out? Bojack Horsepod, you can find it, I'm sure, in all the good places as well, just like ours. Yeah, thank you very much, Bojack Horsepod. Um, interesting of you to get in touch with us this week. Thank you very much for listening. We know you wanted the follow. We were only too glad to give you it. You uh, paid attention to the first follow Friday. Congratulations. That was well earned. That's what you get for engaging. That's what you get. Listen, I'm not going to say that my follow Friday was a great success. <laughs> I'm not going to say that we've made friends along the way. And I'm not going to say that we've created an even bigger community of Bojack Horseman and Podcast Horseman fans. 
Those are words that are not going to leave my mouth. <laughs> I just you're not saying no, that. I'm, I'm not going to say it. That. I'm not. I'm not, I'm saying not endorsing that. what nobody just said. Nobody's saying it, and absolutely not. And not even the bloody two hundred odd people I had to follow on Instagram the other day. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you to everybody who did allow me. By the way, there were so many that were private that I had to like request the follow for. <laughs> But a lot of people, there was still some rejections. I think people who were probably very confused as to why this random podcast was just following them. Because <laughs> they only liked one thing that was hashtag Bojack Horseman. Anyway, I digress quickly before we go. Let's give you the synopsis for next week's episode. They are coming thick and they are coming fast. Season 6, episode 11. Sunk cost and all that. While Paige and Max question Mr. Peanut Butter at his restaurant, a panicked Bojack tries to piece together what's happening. Oh, man. Well, we told you Good Damage was going to be a good episode. It is. It's a trying episode. It gives you a good perspective. But, of course, now, as you said, Michael, everybody is up to speed, and the events that follow are surely going to be interesting, I think it's probably mm. the way to put it. But if you want to find out what happens on next week's episode of BoJack Horseman, and, indeed, Podcast Horseman, <laughs> Hell, you might get follow Friday, but you still got to come back and find out next week on the episode. Come back here and we'll tell you all about it. Until that time, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.